Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to the Risen Nation Church podcast. I pray that this message today impact your life and above all, draw you into a deeper encounter with Jesus. I don't know how to, one time uh, this pastor told me, he said, when you preach, don't preach from experience, just preach the word. Now that sounds like good, a good saying and like we should just stick to theology and doctrine and not add man's whatever into it. I, I agree with that in part, but there's also an aspect of if this doesn't become your experience, you're just making noise, right? If you're not actually going through, if, if the word that is, that is coming into you is not tried, if it's not like, if it's, if it's not refined like gold inside a fire, right? I, I've sometimes, you know, I'll talk to leaders about this. People will hear, you know, someone else will preach something you preached, right? Now, let me just say this as a blanket statement. We all stole the messages. We all did. Because it started with Paul. We're all stealing Paul's material. We're all stealing Peter's material. So there is an aspect of don't be a copy, but you can't come up with your own gospel. So you kind of have to copy. Right? So there's like this thing of, of like, be your own voice, but you don't really want to be your own voice. You want to be in tune with God's voice and he doesn't change. So he's still saying the same stuff. And how we grow into it is through experience. Not, good, not just good theology, but the experience of God. He's experiential. We've talked about it, that the difference between oida, which is the word no, and also gnosko, which is the word no. In the Bible, oida is you know of, you have knowledge, you have information. But gnosko is, is you are intimate with the one that you're talking about, right? And so there's this experience thing that I have found whenever I try to minister and, and it's not from experience and maybe it's something I preached three years ago that I'm just gonna repeat, there's no power on it. There's no weight on the words. And so when I share the gospel with somebody, if I'm not thinking often of the holes in his hands, if the blood is not still piercing me, if, if, if the cross and considering what Jesus actually did for me, if that's like too simple now and I gotta move on to deeper things, right? If, if Jesus bleeding God's life on the planet, crying mercy to come into my heart, to change everything about my life and to make me like him, if I can say things like, I am the righteousness of God in Christ and it becomes something I quote, there'll be no power that can actually change your life and letters will just kill. But it's the spirit, it's the weight behind the letter. And so I've been kind of going through this and it seems to happen, you know, when I'm like, especially when I go to Tennessee, it's like the Lord, you know, I ministered that, that thing about the high places of devotion becoming habitations to the nations um, out of 1 Samuel 19. And it, and it seems to be just that, like there is this, uh, the only way I can describe it is this experience that's reminding me of the awe and wonder of God that's revealing things to me about myself that I wasn't super happy with and I didn't know it. And, and today I'm asking the Lord to free us from religious activity and religious duty, okay? So when you consider a relationship, the foundation of any relationship is you have to know who the person is, right? You've got to know their history, where they're from, where they're going, what's their desires, what's their dreams. When I met Emily, you know, like you, you get to know each other by um, where were you born? What was it? 
You know, what was your experience growing up? Who, who are they, right? But it's not good enough to just know who they are. You have to know what they're like, right? And that only comes by spending time of, I realized when I, when I started, you know, dating Emily and we got engaged and married, I realized how not gentle I am. But I had to encounter someone gentle to expose how I need to be more like that, right? I started experiencing, you know, Emily came into our family. Now my family does this thing when someone sneezes. In our house, we've got to be better at saying God bless you. Because whenever somebody sneezes, and it totally is rooted in Cito because he started it because he's a germaphobe. Whenever somebody sneezes in our family, we're all like, ah, come on. It's just, family's like, some of you are like, that's so rude. So Emily thought the same thing. So she comes in and she's like, you guys never say God bless you. And I'm like, yeah, you know. So Emily comes around. We're a bunch of Arabs like, gross, get away from me. Emily's like, God bless you. And and we're like, what's wrong with her? (laughs) Now my kids are like, you have to say, God bless you. And they have better manners than I do. You know, but, but you get around someone and it's not just, you no longer just have like knowledge of who they are. You've experienced something with them that's impacted your own nature. You've experienced something with them where you start to realize how much you lack and how much they have, right? That they're gentle and I am not, they're nice and I am not. And then you start to rub off on each other and now I'm nice and she is, no, I'm just kidding. Everyone in this room knows that that's false. Every single person. She's the nicest, most gentle person in the world where it's just, it's a conviction just being around her. You know what I'm saying? So the foundation of any relationship, I want you to write it down is, and I know it's simple, but who someone is and what they're like. And I think we have this problem in the church today of we really don't know who God is. We have a shallow understanding of God. He's creator. We've heard the story enough to be able to say he died, he was buried, he rose, he ascended, and he's coming again. We can, we can quote all the religious stuff, but we don't really know who he is. But we know enough to be able to say he's my Lord. But we, I would say a vast majority, what he's like is the biggest question in the church today. And we've created a bipolar God that we've got to balance for him, right? We have to balance him by, we can't talk about his love being too extreme because don't forget, he'll beat the heck out of you and throw you in hell, right? And, and, we, and we manipulate scriptures when Paul is talking about, you know, the wrath of God and, and the severity of God, but God can't be anything outside of who he is, right? So when he says, I am love, Right When 1 John 4, 8 says, for God is love, he can't be love balanced by wrath. He just is love because it's who he is and he doesn't change. He's immutable. So it's what he is, which implies there's nowhere in scripture that says God is wrath. Nowhere in scripture that he is this, this thing. It says he might do something that is wrathful. He might be severe in situations, but who he is, he can't be anything other than who he is. So who he is, is he is love, which makes everything he does has to be love. 
right? But religion has pottered us into, we need to help God by making sure we tell people to balance him well. And we've created a bipolar king that has bad sides to him. He's got good sides, but the scriptures say that there's no shadows in him. Right? The four creatures full of eyes stare at him for eternity. We say it all the time. And they've never been like, oh, don't catch him on a bad day. I found a really bad side of him. If you do this certain thing, like if you don't pray for four hours, he'll be ticked. Right? And we call it conviction in the church, but it's not conviction at all. It's, it's we are disgusted with ourselves. And then we project that on God as if he changes like we do. So I'm finding out some stuff about myself lately. As I'm, as I'm going into more of who God is, so again, the foundation of a relationship is who are they and what are they like? And, and if you ask, I mean, again, people live their lives. I don't care if you're a Christian or not a Christian, right? The reason why, and, and I don't know how to, how do I say this, Lord? People that like are like, I'm an atheist. In my opinion, I'm like, he's powerful enough that you're gonna try to come against him, which in a way you kind of believe in him. Right? It, you know, people like, and everybody in the world, because we came from God, chosen in him before the foundation of the world, all life comes from God, right? There's nobody on the earth that's here haphazardly according to God, right? So even those that aren't believers, as they come into the revelation of, you know, God leads you and he finds you, you don't find him, he finds you, and you find him and you join into relationship with him, you're, you realize like, as you actually study scripture, you've always known that I'm a son, right? The spirit of adoption, that word adoption means son placement. It's not someone that was on the outside coming in the family. That word adoption in scripture is you've always been in the family. You left and I'm bringing you back into the family. That's what the word adoption means in the Greek. And so, so everybody in the world lives their life according to what they believe about God. Christian, not a Christian. Atheists work hard to not believe in God because they actually, in their heart of hearts, know he's real, right? So you've, you've got everybody in the world and then Christians, are, I think, are the most confused. At least the ones in the world, you know, they, they are set in their ways and they are just, they need to be hit with the power and the love of God. But Christians who claim, this is worse to me, claim to be hit with the power and love of God, that claim the, the sacred words of I believe in God, if you ever want to really get messed with, if you go and you look up Jordan Peterson, talking about believing in God, you will end the video and go, do I really believe in God? Because the implication of saying that, of when you believe in something, you act out that which you believe in. But we've made it a, a statement to get into heaven and, and we're confused as Christians. And because we don't really know what he's like, we live our lives based on, am I petrified every day of my life? If, am I going to spend time with God based on guilt? Because I didn't yesterday. 
Am I, am I actually loving the Lord because someone told me that if I don't, I'm gonna go to hell? And you, 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 you build your whole life based on who you believe he is and who you believe he's like. All right, so make sure you write those down. But let's talk about who he is for a second. Go to, go to Job 26. We're gonna have some fun just in the beginning here. I Listen, I know most of you have heard me talk about this before, but I personally... Just read the book of Job when I ever have a problem. The reason is, is because as I read it, I go, I don't have a problem. (laughs) And I ain't talking about Job. Hear what I'm saying. I'm not talking about Job's problems bigger. Job didn't have a problem either. I'm not talking about Job's problem was bigger. The reason I read Job is because Job's, the description of God's glory in Job will cause you to go, I don't have any problems. Okay, so I just want to make sure I'm, I'm clear on that. I'm not comparing myself to Job's problems. I'm comparing to God's majesty. Just, just throw your problem. So here's what we're going to do. As I begin, I want you to think about your problem, all right? Think about what you're going through. Think about what isn't working. Think about all the stuff, all the junk that, that stressed you out all week, that you're anxious about, that you're still anxious about, and that some of you dreading to deal with tomorrow. Just think about that as we read this. And in 20 minutes, we're going to see if we're still thinking about it. All right? Job 26, verse 7. He says, he stretches out the north over the void. He hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds. The cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded by his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By the wind of heaven were made, by his wind, the heavens were made fair and his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. Just underline that. Behold, These are just the outskirts of his ways. How small a whisper do we hear him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? And then chapter 37, you you could just listen. I actually prefer you to listen because I really want you to listen. Don't try to follow along because some of you might have different translations. Just I'm reading out of the ESV. I want you to just let it sink in. This is chapter 37, verse six. For to the snow... He says, fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man and, and that all men whom he made may know it. Then the beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens. From its chamber comes the whirlwind, the cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given. And the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. He owns the lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all he commands them on the face of the habitable world. Whether for correction on, or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. This is how God's dealing with a problem. Okay? So he's dealing with Job's issues. Is he, if you keep going, get to chapter 40 and 42. The Lord says, tells Job, stand up like a man. It's, I love it. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And then asks three chapters of rhetorical questions. 
Imagine that with God. Where were you, Job, when I hung the stars? Don't respond. Don't try to give him theology. Just be quiet. So he says, hear this, O Job. Stop and consider. That's what I'm asking the Lord to do today in our hearts, that we would stop and we would consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? No, I don't know. Do you know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge, whose garments are hot with the earth when the earth is still because of the south wind? Can you like him spread the skies? No, I can't. Psalms 147, verse four through five, just write these down. He determines the number of stars. He gives them He gives all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Now let's just stop for a sec. He gives every star a name. Do you know that there is a billion, at least billions of stars inside of our current galaxy? But then on top of that, there's billions of galaxies with more billions of stars. And every single star, scientists say, has at least one planet. When you just stop and you think he gave every single one a name, every single one, billions of stars in billions of galaxies, and they all have a special name with him. Romans eleven thirty three to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? I love it that he, if you actually study scripture, it talks about he has a counsel called his will. It doesn't even make sense. I have counselors in my life that are actual people. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need to be accountable to anybody because he's perfect. So his counsel session is his own will. Or who has first given him that he should repay him? Who did something that the Lord should pay him back for? But if you just, let's just think about that statement for a second. This is how we teach devotion. I'll do something for you because you're going to do something for me. As if God owes me something. I'm getting ahead of myself. For of him and through him and to him are all things. Not everyone say all. It's not some, not just for the church things. All things. To whom be glory forever. Psalms 93, one through two, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. He is from forever. How long is that forever? Where did he begin? Never. How? how? I don't know but he never began and he's never going to end. And how long is that? Literally forever. I love this statement. He doesn't, he, he doesn't live in eternity. Eternity lives in him. 
Luke 19, 38 through 40 saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered and said, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would cry out. Stones sing songs to him if we don't. So let, let's, just, let's just think about this for a second. We're talking about somebody who's uncreated, whose throne, if you consider his throne in the book of Revelation, it says that he sit, sits on a throne on a sea of glass and the sea of glass is mingled with fire. If you look at Ezekiel, waist up, he's on fire. Waist down, he's on fire. The man loves fire. And he sits before the seven spirits of God who burn before him day and night. Out of his throne comes lightning and thunder, all while there is a rainbow that looks like emerald hanging over his head. Crowns gather at his feet because he's the king of kings. Elders live their lives to all they do is throw crowns at the feet of the lamb. And this is just his every day. And how long is that gonna go on? Forever, not not. Not just a long time. I think that sometimes we think about like just long because we don't know anything outside of time, but literally with no end, crowns will keep piling at his feet. <laughs> I love this. It says in Psalms 98 that rivers give him an applause. Wow, and the hills become joyful at his presence. These things don't even have breath in them. And they're excited when he walks by. It says in the book of Job that the stars sang him songs when they were created and the oceans waved their hands like banners before him. You guys have heard this a lot, but scientists say that we've discovered 4% of the universe and the reason scientists can't keep up is because it's still growing at the speed of light in every direction. He said, let there be light one time and it's still obeying at the speed of light in every direction. He can't get us to do something, but the universe is still listening. He only had to say it once. We need 48 confirmations. I'm talking to myself. I needed 48 to move. Jeremiah's like, just do it, you know? I'm trying here. Gosh, that was good. Sounds just like him. That was a good one. I stand in the mirror by myself and do Jeremiah Johnson. So A.W. Tozer makes this statement. Don't fall in your pride that thinking idolatry is just bowing down to images. But the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. Jeez. Come on, A.W., don't fall in your pride of thinking idolatry is just bowing down to images. But the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. Even, listen, have you ever thought about in scripture when angels come from his presence? Or, or somebody just comes from God's presence and people that just come from his presence cause men to fall like dead men. People that just are in the vicinity of God and the angels are like, get up, I'm not him. But they've just been around him and anything that's been around him causes everything to just fall like dead men, even around those that came from him. Like I want us to consider God's power because we need new thoughts about God. 
because we have exalted so many things and we got problems and we're bored in church. We weren't bored today. You guys are very, I'm not talking to you. Preach with me today to the world, okay? But he sneezes out according to Job constellations. His sneezings, it says, causes lightnings and stars to go forth. And he doesn't need a God bless you. He is God. Even his sneezes. See what I did there? Even his sneezes create. He is all powerful, all wonderful, and he never started. (laughs) And we're like in church, bored. And he's sitting on a throne. In the book of Ezekiel, I was going to read it, but I don't know if we have time. But in the book of Ezekiel, if you read Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel has this encounter. And what I love about it is he's like, it's like, uh, like I've never seen the color, so I'm just going to come up with a name. And then there's like sapphire and there's wheels. And then there's like a wheel inside of the wheel. And everything's on fire, but there's this wheel. And there's a wheel and it's fiery and... And then there's these, these four creatures and they kind of look like humans, but they all got wings and some of their wings cover their body and some are just spread out and they touch each other. And every time the wings touch each other, the earthquakes. What are you talking about, Ezekiel? And he just keeps going about the wonder that he's seeing. And he sees a man that is completely on fire sitting on a throne and it says, it looks like one of us, but he's on fire. And then for seven days... For seven days in Ezekiel chapter three, he sits there in awe, astonished, staring into space after he comes out of the encounter. And people come from the city to look at Ezekiel and they're like, what's wrong with this guy? For seven days, he's like, because of what he saw. That's in the Old Testament. We have God come in the flesh, Come into our hearts and in church, we're like, let's just do it. Come on, let's get through this thing. I gotta go to work on Monday. Maybe he'll help me with my problems. What are problems? Never started, never gonna end. All powerful, all wonderful. You know, in chapter eight of Ezekiel, it says, you know what the image is that he sees? The image of jealousy. Wow. Chapter eight, just read it. The image of, he sees this man in all of his wonder and you know what he finds? Jealousy. (sighs) Hear what I'm saying. He sees all of the power of God and here's what God wants him to see. I'm jealous for you. Think about all of the wonder, all of the power, all of the majesty that we're talking about here, that we're reading about. The, The fascination of the, magnitude of God all became a seed inside of a woman. Jesus, it says of him that he was, all things were made through him, for him, and in him all things consist. Think about the nature of God that he's sitting with his disciples at a table about to give his life, and he makes this statement, I came from God and I'm going back to God. And he knew that all things, everyone say all things, belonged to him. Now imagine you're sitting there. You have now understood and you've grown to become the author of salvation. And you've now understood, I was the one who created everything. I hung the stars. I remember their names. I wonder what his time with God the Father was like. 
He knows that all things consist through him. And he is literally sitting at a table with disciples holding their bodies together by the word of his power. And he's just hanging out with them. And he says, I know that I came from God. I know that I'm going to God and all things belong to me. And his response to that was he takes a towel off his waist and washes dirty feet of dirty disciples. If we never know and understand who God is and we don't get right thoughts about God, we'll never ever have right thoughts about ourselves. But here's what the world teaches you. The more status somebody gains, the more they get magnified, the more influence they get, the more distance they become, right? The less accessible that they become, right? Somebody that's a celebrity, they got people around them that you can't get to them. They, you got to go through 14 people of see, the president of the United States, secret service. They shut everything down, right? He's got to go one block. I'll never forget. We were Washington DC when Trump was in office and we were at a restaurant and he's across the street. I was literally, we were on Pennsylvania Avenue. He was less than a block from the white house. The amount of police and secret service, I had never seen anything like it to drive one block. It was unbelievable. One poor guy is just a, I know this is super random, but one poor guy accidentally drove into the intersection. It was fantastic. <laughs> he accidentally drove in. The, so they had the intersection. He got through somehow and he's just in his like Jeep coming home from work and like four cars charge at him and they're like pointing guns at him and they're like, move. And he's like, you know, <laughs> pooping himself. So anyway, and all, he, and all Trump's doing is walking out of the door and going a block. Now this is a president. This is what they treat kings like. Around God is piles of their crowns. And he doesn't get less accessible. His death, burial, and resurrection actually made him more accessible. What are we talking about here? So in my human mind, when God gets bigger, the more re I realize how disgusting and insignificant I am. This is just religion, seeds in me that have to be rooted out, right? You read stuff like this and it helps your problems go away, but it also makes you go, why would something that big love something so small? Because that's what religion pottered us is that he's this big God and you're just here. You're just, you're just here. And the whole goal is to come from God, come to the earth only to make it back to God. I love what my dad says. He said, why don't you just leave me there? Why do, you, why do I have to come out to pay bills, go through the troubles of life, go through all the things we're going through only to make it back to where I came from? It doesn't even make sense. Surely this God who gets counsel from his own will is, is got a better plan than that. Surely there's something more, right? But religion tells us the bigger God gets, the smaller you get, and you are just disgusting, right? But the kingdom teaches, actually, the more I'm, I'm realizing it, the more I'm like, okay. The psalmist said in Psalms 8, when I consider the heavens and the works of your fingers, what is man that you're so mindful of him? God you sneeze out constellations. Why are you thinking about me? What is it about me that you're naming your throne jealousy? Me. Take it personally. We all understand Jesus died for us. But when's the last time you really sat and contemplated Jesus died for me? Little you. 
So I had been, I had preached this in, in Franklin and Chicago. I just can't get out of this vein of God is big. And I got no troubles in the world. And I'm finding joy in just being alive. Like, my kids are there. I'm like, he knows them. What? So the more I think on this dude that's hanging out on fire with fire all around, and he's interested in my life, the more I think to myself, why would I ever be concerned about a bill? But then there's this thing in me that I'm realizing God is trying to deal with something deeper in me. There's this deeper thing. And, and, and so I, you know, sometimes, and, and Pastor Jenny has said, articulated this beautifully to our students. Sometimes you'll hear something, you know, a lot of times behind this pulpit, you know, especially when Cito preaches and, and you'll hear something and, and you don't really know, you don't know what just was said. It, it either went over your head or it offended you, right? Theology, you know? And, and so people will get like angry, like they get mad. And they're like, because usually it's too good to be true. Usually. Usually it's like, it doesn't say that he's the Lord of Lords. I'm not a Lord, right? Because somewhere along the lines in religion, they told us what we can say and what we can't say, even though the Bible says it, right? So we got to like, we got to like, you know, uh, we got to tiptoe our way around what we say. It's like, we got to lay little trails of sugar and the kids come and then they realize, oh, I'm in here now. And God forbid we offend anybody in the church today and lose people. But I'm realizing I would hear stuff or I'd read stuff and I would get like offended by it. Like, no, Jesus, you, you are the only one that, uh, that is worthy. Right, I, I heard a pastor yesterday talking about uh, in Matthew, when it talks about a man found treasure in the field. Remember that? And it says, this man found a field, there's treasure in the field, he sells all that he has and he buys the field. Well, you know, for a long time, the way I've thought about that is, is like Jesus is the treasure. And we sell everything we have and we buy the field as if I can purchase him. And so this, this pastor is like, Jesus isn't the treasure, he's the man that found the treasure, you're the treasure. And he paid an ultimate price and he bought the whole field because all the treasure. Right, and so, but, so we're clapping, but when I first heard it, I'm like, no, he's the treasure. <laughs> and it feels, it feels, that feels easier to say, because I'm disgusting, right? Like I, I suck, right? But Jesus, he's the treasure. I didn't die, he died. And then this pastor goes on, and I'm getting more offended and angry as it goes. And he goes on and he's like, whoever taught you, who told you that you had to pay a price, that you had to pay something to gain God? Do you see the subtle roots of religion that so subtly come in and we can be on our knees and we can be crying out and saying, Lord, I'm gonna pay the cost. I'm gonna pay the price. The price is getting over yourself, which could look like I am the righteousness of God. The price could be yourself and what you are disgusted with about yourself. So I'm realizing, Lord, I don't really like me. No joke. Guys, I know that I'm the pastor and stuff, but like, trust me, we're figuring this thing out every day of our life, dying daily, right? So I'm, I'm thinking about the wonder of God. I'm thinking about this pastor made me mad, but then he's like, he, it's true. I, 
I don't pay something to gain God. Well, how offensive to the Lord. He paid the ultimate price to gain me because he saw something in me that was worth dying for. But religion said it wasn't really about your worth. It was about your sin. I, I don't even, it doesn't even logically make sense. Why would he shed his blood for something that's not valuable to him? So I started reading this book. This book really messed me up. This person's going to get a lot of sales today. It's called Abba's Child by Brennan Manning. So I, I have this going on in my mind. I'm just bringing you into my, myself, my processing self. I'm flying home, or I'm flying, I don't know where, I was flying, okay? And I uh, was on a plane going somewhere while you're going to the airport. So um, it's a bad movie quote. So thank God no one caught it. So it was, listen to this. This is what he says. It's one thing to feel loved by God. Now, this chapter is called Come Out of Hiding. This is what I'm praying happens today. You come out of hiding, okay? It's one thing to feel loved by God when our life is together and all support systems are in place. Then self-acceptance is relatively easy. We may even claim that we are coming to like ourselves. When we are strong on top in control in fine form, in a sense, a sense of security crystallizes. But what happens when life falls through the cracks? What happens when we sin, when we fail, when our dreams shatter, when our investments crash, when we are regarded with suspicion? What happens when we come face to face with the human condition? Ask anyone who has recently or just gone through a separation or divorce, are they together now? Is there a sense of security intact? Do they have strong sense of self-worth? Do they feel like a beloved child of God or does God love them only in their goodness? This is for someone that just went through a divorce. Or does God only love you in your goodness and when everything's going right? And not in their poverty and brokenness as well. Nicholas Harnon wrote, this brokenness is what needs to be accepted. Unfortunately, this is what we tend to reject. Here are the seeds of of corrosive self-hatred take root, this painful vulnerability in the characteristic, characteristic feature of our humanity that most needs to be embraced in order to restore our human condition to a healed state. The 14th century mystic Julian of Norwich said, our courteous Lord does not want his servants to despair because they fall often and grievously. For our falling does not hinder him in loving us. Our skepticism, listen, he's not, he's not moved by you failing. Our skepticism and timidity keep us from belief and acceptance. However, we don't hate God, we hate ourselves. Yet the spiritual life begins with the acceptance of our wounded self. Not one of us came to the Lord because we're like, I'm good and I'm going to be better. Hopefully not. And if you did, you didn't really give your life to the Lord because Jesus and his blood reveals our need for his blood. It was the point of the law. It's the whole point of the whole story is the law was put in place as a schoolmaster, as a tutor to lead you to the answer, which is Christ, right? He led us through rules and regulations to go, okay, I'm gonna give you 613 laws, 10 commandments. Let's see if you can fulfill them. 
Nope, you can't. Why? Because you need a savior, right? And so you come to this point of realization of your own emptiness, depravity, all of the stuff you lack to go, I find my sufficiency in Christ. So at your lowest state in life, you had your greatest moment, right? Every single one of us. At the time of life where we needed God to come the most, where many of you drug addicts, alcoholics, maybe you were in gangs, whatever it was that you were in, when did you encounter God? When did God decide to manifest himself to you? In many stories, it's at the lowest point. Yet religion comes in and teaches us, like it says in the book of Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's lied to you? That which started in grace has now turned into works. And now you have to work it to please him when you didn't work it to please him the first time. And this is dangerous preaching. And it's why no one preaches it. Because it's dangerous because religion told me it was dangerous because people take advantage of it. And can I tell you what's equally as religious? See, when we think of religion, we think of Pharisee. We think of those that are sensationists. Let's all be honest. The Southern Baptists. Let's, can we talk, oh, I'm behind a pulpit, I can't say it. Can we talk real? Like, we, the ones in that church, religious. But how about your own religion? The one that says, if you don't fast enough, God's not happy with you. That is equally as religious, if not more. If I don't pray enough, if my devotion is not pleasing enough, God's gonna kick me out, I'm gonna lose my lamp. And I'm going to be anointed, and I'm not going to be anointed anymore, and I'm not going to be used of God, because I have to pay an intense price for God to love me, as if that was the story in the beginning. Equally as religious. So I'm realizing, I got some religion in me. I preach against it every week, and I got some religion in me. And my religion might look fancy, right? It might look like devoted. But really, if I'm being honest with myself, Can we talk honestly? Sometimes I feel guilty because yesterday I was being a father. Let me tell you where this encounter started. We drove 10 and a half hours to Tennessee. Honestly, amazed with how my kids did, right? But 10 and a half hours, you know, you ain't ain't like enjoying the Lord's presence with with three kids, toddlers, okay? You just, you're doing everything you can to stay on the road, discipline them, and not have stuff fly at your face. That's it. That's how you just, the goal is get there alive. You know, for all those that your kids are now, like in college and older, you pray in the spirit the whole time. But, but I, we don't get that. We, we don't get to do that, okay? My kids start screaming if the iPad turns off. And then Emily and I start arguing because we're like, we need to get rid of the phones and the iPads and we're not raising our kids right. And this preacher, this person said, don't give them screens because it messes with their brains. And, and then you get there and you're, just, and then you're just frustrated, right? And so then tomorrow I wake up and the only thing I can deal with is how guilty I feel that I didn't spend time with God yesterday. As if he doesn't abide with me and he's only in my closet. right? So, so if we're all just honest, how many times do we go to the closet guilty? God, I suck again. I only spent 
You look at your screen time, God, I really suck. And your own idea of suckiness messes with your relationship with God and then you project these thoughts on God. As if God is thinking this about, as if he changed his mind about you because you were driving and you didn't go, you're religious. I am religious. So I open, so the Lord leads me to this book through someone and, and I'm reading it and I'm like, oh my God, I hate myself. I know it sounds like really intense and like I'm laughing about it, but no joke. I'm like, I make it fancy and nice, but really, if I'm honest, I don't struggle with sin. Thank God. Like I'm not, I'm not like tempted by pornography. Thank you, Jesus. What I struggle with is being disgusted by my inconsistency. Anyone else? It's so funny. Apparently, you guys suck too. I... <laughs> Emily's like, you know, we haven't really spent time with you. Let's watch a movie with the kids. I'm like, but God, he's whispering. As if he's like, don't be a father. Be absent. Don't be a husband. Come on. Sit in here all day, you'll be super anointed and you'll lose your kids. Right? So, so you start realizing, wait, I abide inside of you? I remember one time, this happens to me often where I'm in my room and there is, as a minister of the gospel, as a pastor, teacher, Paul talks about there is laboring in the word that has to take place, right? I, I, don't, I don't really, and, and again, there's certain people that have an office that they can just kind of show up and explode and that's for them. But when you lead a community, and I've talked to you people hundreds of times, right? I can't just like share the same thing over and over with you again. I have to study the word to show myself approved so that we can grow together in his word, right? So we don't get to like just show up. Maybe one day, I'll be at that level, but I'm not yet, right? But, but Paul said, honor those that labor in the word. So there is this laboring to grow in revelation because you're entrusted in leadership, okay? So there's times where I'm laboring in the word or I'm just spending time with God and, and Ellie walks in and she's like, Bubba, will you play Barbies with me? And, and if I'm, and so it's like, yeah. Like, how do you say no, you know? But sometimes I'm like, no. But you know what my no is driven by? God won't be pleased with me. And then I'll have nothing to share. And I remember one time I, I had the no moment and the Lord said, do you know that worship? He said this to me. Do you know that worship is being a father of your kids too? <laughs> Who are you raising? So, uh, so I, let me keep reading this. <laughs> Sorry. Just venting about myself. So you ask anyone that's gone through a divorce, do they have a strong sense of security and self-worth as if their failure pushed God away? God calls us to stop hiding and come openly to him. God is the father who ran to his prodigal son when he came limping home. God weeps 
over us when shame and self-hatred immobilize us. Yet as soon as we lose, as soon as we lose our nerve about ourselves, we take over. And it's so true. Adam and Eve hid, and we all in one way or another have used the same role models. Why? Because we do not like what we see. It is uncomfortable, intolerable to confront our true selves, but God loves who we really are, whether we like it or not. God calls us, as he called Adam, to come out of hiding. No spiritual makeup, listen to this, can render us more presentable to him. I want our young people to listen. There is no spiritual makeup, language, religious duty that can make you more pleasing to God. And I'm telling you, if you can deal with that one seed of religion, just that one, that when I do something good and I am behaved, that God likes me more. If I can deal with that one seed, you'll begin to shine. He goes on and he says, his love, which called us into existence, calls us to come out of self-hatred and to step into his truth. He said, come to me now, Jesus says, acknowledge and accept, I want to be for you. Wow. A savior of boundless compassion, infinite patience, unbearable forgiveness, and love that keeps no score of wrongs. Dan Muller says, we give ourselves tests God is not giving us. Quit projecting onto me your own feelings about yourself. Here's where it got crazy for me in the plane. One of the most contradicting, and, and here's the thing, it's so simple, but the preachers, you know, got it figured out. Sometimes we need to go back to the simple things. Like, do I really believe that I'm loved? Do I, re- like, do I truly believe that there's nothing I can do to keep God from loving me? One of the most shocking contradictions in the American church is the intense dislike many disciples of Jesus have for themselves. They are more displeased with their own shortcomings than they would ever dream of being with someone else's. They are sick with their own, their own disgusted inconsistency. If somebody came to you, let's say, uh, Tatum, where are you at? Tatum, stand up for a second. Don't worry, I'm not going to do anything crazy. This is Tatum, everybody. Jeremy and Tyler Stones. Now, let's just say, let's just say, Tatum came to me. Sweet Tatum. And she said, I feel like, Jeremy, stand up. This is Jeremy, her dad. Okay. Bad example. Let's say Tatum goes to Jeremy. And she's crying, and she's like, I'm disgusted with myself. I didn't spend time with you yesterday like I should have. I was busy. I don't know what you do these days, Tatum. I feel like you're too old for Barbies, but (laughs) I don't have kids your age yet, so I don't know what you play with. But you what? She reads books, and she was busy reading a book. You know? And it wasn't even a Christian book. Just saying. I'm not saying that that's what happened. Just saying. I'm trying to make you guilty. So, and she is guilty for not being present with her father. And Jeremy is drinking coffee and doing whatever Jeremy does. And, and she comes into the kitchen and she's crying. 
lying to her dad. And she says, yesterday, I was busy. And I feel distant from you now because I'm busy, because I was busy, like as if we lost time and you're not outside of time and space. Jeremy, he's crying already. He's crying because of his daughter. This this isn't even a real scenario. Maybe it is. I don't know. Jeremy would say, what are you talking about? He'd say, get over here. And they would hug and they would cry like he's crying now. And, And honestly, he's such a good father, it would make them even closer. You know why? Because she was vulnerable with her dad. And he goes, now we're connected. Now we're talking. Now we're being real. Now with your religious stuff of, Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. Your mercies are new every morning. Stop it. Thank you, guys. You can sit down. If that's how he is with his daughter, the scriptures say, if a father being evil without the Lord in his life knows how to give good gifts to his children, and if your kid comes to you and he asks you for bread, you're not going to give him a stone to trick him and be like, refinement by fire. <laughs> if he asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a serpent and say, bite him so he learns a lesson. Religion has lied to us about who God is. And the scriptures tell me that he has more thoughts for me. It doesn't even say for us. More thoughts for you, for me. Take it personally. All the sand on every beach in the whole world. Do you know how much that is? And then Jeremiah 29 specifies thoughts for our welfare. If we being evil before the Lord know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more our Father in heaven? Yet religion has fathered us. And we have these seeds in us that tell us you're not the treasure in the field. Bite your tongue, fast more, pray more, be more anointed, make heaven, and and call Jesus the treasure. And we're going to say it's all about Jesus. No, it's all about you hate yourself. And you are unwilling to see what God actually sees. God sees treasure in you. John 7 says he sees rivers inside of you. You were worth it for him to pour his blood on the ground that he created. So if we as parents are that way, if, if Tanner came to me, Pastor Tanner, and he said, I, I am disgusted by my relationship and inconsistency of spending time with God. I'd be like, your heart is so pure. Can you pray for me? That's how we would all respond. We'd be amazed that they're even bothered by it. That bothered, but they haven't been consistent with God. Every single one of us in the room, mercy and forgiveness would just flow on them. Like we would be like, bro, I know the Lord, but you're dealing with it too, but you'd still be like, no, that's not who he is. But you don't believe it for yourself. Just for others. In my experience, this is what he said, self-hatred is the dominant crippling of Christians and stifling their own growth in the Holy Spirit, 
And for too long, we've learned that perfect performance brought the recognition and approval from people I desperately needed. And the reason is because we have an idol called self and others. And we've been taught that if I do this correctly, people are pleased. And if I do, and, and we project our, Psalms 50 says, you thought we were all together, that he was all together like you. Let me make something very clear. God is not like you. He made you like him. Okay, very, we have to be very clear. This is why the foundation of any relationship, who is he and what is he like? Because he didn't, he didn't, he's not, he didn't come and become like us and stay like us. He came like us and then he made us like him. We stayed like us. And we prayed a religious prayer that we think is gonna get us to heaven someday. But you have somebody come into town and tell you, you are as righteous as God. If I said that and I didn't quote, I believe it's 1 Corinthians that talks about we are the righteousness of God in Christ, people will be mad. Who lied to you? Who put that seed inside of you that said you're disgusting? Who put it there? And then our relationship, and I can be honest, and I can say sometimes my relationship with the Lord is like I feel like I'm constantly having to catch up. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And then, and then, like, you feel like you start getting there, and you have, like, two days of, like, bliss, and it feels like Eric Gilmore. <laughs> but you're not Eric Gilmore. This is why. Like, someone got mad at me for saying, I don't like when leaders say how much they spend time with God. Someone got really mad about that, sent an email. Let me give some more clarity on this. I want to entice you to spend time with God. Right? I, I, want, I want hearts to be stirred to be in your secret place. I go after this more than anybody. What I don't like is when we set measures as if it's not sacred enough. God, how do I say this? It's too sacred to count. Too sacred to measure. And you know why we measure? Now, again, I'm not talking about any specific verse. I, I grew up, my uncle talked about his testimony of being with the Lord eight hours a day. And that's what he did. But then I got sucked into something he wasn't even teaching. Through my own self-issues of, okay, because though I measure, if he didn't, that's up to him. But because I measure, I figured if I get nine hours a day, I'll be more anointed than Benny Hinn. It's a mathematical, it makes sense. It's a good equation. If I fast like Lou Engle and do this when I talk about it, and deepen my voice, maybe I'll be more anointed. All it did was introduce me to the hand of religion that says, I got you too. You start measuring your secret place, you forgot why you're there. My wife and I don't measure our time together. We don't count. Okay, it's been three hours. We're done. See you later. <laughs> Some of you might do that. You shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it. We don't get up in the morning and say, we had seven hours to just gaze into each other's eyes yesterday. We 
spent seven hours to gaze into each other's eyes yesterday. We have this sacred thing together called life in God's presence. We go to the grocery store together and we're, it's sacred. We go to the trampoline park with our kids, jump like a child and it's sacred. And religion told me that I have to separate the sacred things from, and anything you do, even if it's being a parent is somehow not holy and sacred. God only abides with you when you're behind a door. And we've projected on God. And so I don't like, I don't like getting up. And, and I, don't, I don't have a, my, my nine to five is this. Thank you, Jesus. But some people have to go somewhere every morning and drive an hour to get to work. They got to get up at seven. And then they get home at seven. And their whole life is a guilty circle. Of, I can't be a parent. Okay, how do, I, how do I come home and father my kids, be a husband to my wife, give God adequate time and provide? And your whole life is a measuring stick. And then you're disgusted with yourself one year in, depressed, discouraged, and your whole life is about paying bills now. All because you had wrong thoughts about God. And preachers made you feel guilty for not having four hours a day. Do not like it because moms with four kids don't get eight hours a day with God as if God is not involved in changing diapers. As if God is not involved in being a good present parent and talking to them about the Lord. I would be upset if I came home and my wife is in the closet and she's like, and my kids have ruined the house. And there's poop on the walls. I don't think God is like, I'm happy with you now. I'd be like, I'm not. <laughs> Religion, kind of the worship team. Religion, talk about poop on the walls. We got to get the anointing back. Religion, listen, religion. I hate religion. It's what put Jesus on the cross. It's the biggest enemy. It's the biggest enemy to the church. Religion has lied to God's people for too long and made this whole thing about how I measure up to God, how I work my way toward a God without when St. Augustine said, I searched from city to city, searching for a God that I thought was without, only to find he is a God within. Yeah. Like the search is over. You don't have to look any longer. I wrote this down because, again, what religion told us is the, the more we magnify him, the smaller and more insignificant we get. Do you know that, I'm going to get there, sorry. Do you know that in 1 Samuel 15, you know what Saul's problem was? It wasn't pride. It was insecurity. Do you know that Saul's problem in 1 Samuel 15, let me see if I wrote it down. He comes, Samuel comes to Saul and he says, is it not true, though you were insignificant in your eyes, that you became the, tri the king over the tribes of Israel? Question mark. For the Lord anointed you 
as the king. What is Samuel saying? One translation says, because though you were small in your eyes, you became king. But Samuel, Saul's issue wasn't that he saw himself. See, the, his thing was, is he was a head taller than everybody else and he was a gorgeous man. According to scripture, he looked like Brian Garrett. <laughs> According to scripture, head taller than everyone, probably had a southern accent and just handsome, okay? And he's a head taller, but he could never see himself as king. So Samuel comes and he says, your issue is, is you were small in your eyes. Didn't you become king? Question mark. The reason Saul failed is because he could never get this, this revelation of God anointed me. So he thought the decisions he made were insignificant ones because he thought he was insignificant. And Samuel's trying to get across like, Saul, you can't just like, the Lord halfway. You are the king. God anointed you as king, but your issue is, is you're small in your own eyes. And religion has told us that's humility. But humility, according to the Greek, is agreement with God's perspective. And then you mix it in with meekness that doesn't lord it over anybody. Peterson talks about having a sword. This is what meekness is, is you have a weapon to do something with against someone else and you choose not to. This is why of Jesus it said, behold, thy king cometh meek in Matthew 21. And in Matthew 11, he talks about, he says of himself, I am meek and I am lowly. In other words, he's saying, I have more power than all of you put together. You can't take my life. I lay down my life and I'm going to choose to keep the sword in. This is what Philippians 2 talks about is that he is fully divine. He is fully God and did not consider it something to be grasped. What are we talking about here, God? meekness. But humility goes as he is. Everyone say is. I love that word. It's now. He's eternal, which the implication is he doesn't have a past or a future. He's just always. Wow. He's not a history lesson. He's an experience called Kairos. He doesn't operate in chronological time. He's not like at 11, I'm going to come. Two, when they go into worthy is the lamb, then I'm going to come. He looks for hearts that hit Kairos in the midst of chronological. Kairos is the, like the, the, the ordained, perfect moment. It describes the intimacy between a husband and wife when you have that moment. You know what I'm talking about? That's how God operates. Intimacy that produces intimacy that hits climatic points. This is how God operates. The reason God comes in worship is not because he was like at two o'clock today, I'm going to come hang in there long enough. We saw the Lord break out in Asbury and everyone's like, maybe we should have 14 hour meetings. Maybe that would help. No, have some lunch and, and go home and be a father and be a, be a mother and be a parent and learn that God is in you. I'm not against long meetings. If that's what God wants to do, but let it be birthed from this Kairos intimacy with him that isn't driven by guilt because you haven't been with him. I think what's causing you to fall in love with him all over again, it doesn't matter how inconsistent I was yesterday, he's still like, 
come to Papa. This is why the reason I'm talking about, well, let me read something to you because I was supposed to. Predominantly in the American church, we have made God in our own image, projecting what we think about ourselves on God watered down and domesticated and religion and revelation will use the same verses Russell says religion is happy they memorized it revelation realizes that their paddle boat needs the pacific ocean you think about your problems still probably not maybe we are bored and we can't accomplish what we want to accomplish how many of you feel honestly have felt numb in your relationship with god raise your hand be bold come out of hiding you feel numb. Maybe you can't consecrate the way you want to, desire him the way you want to, live pure and holy the way you want to, because we have wrong images of God. Before you can come to understand who you are, you have to see who he is. And once you've exhausted your brain attempting to discover this father of glory, only then will you become humble enough to see how something that big This is what the kingdom says. How something that big can so radically love something this small. He counts the hairs on my head. While sneezing lightning from his nostrils. We need new thoughts about God. Not thoughts about God that someone else gave me to think. For too long we have lived off someone else's revelation. Someone else's intimacy. With borrowed minds. Borrowed revelation. Borrowed experiences. Borrowed language. And you have to come, listen, and you can have the right language devoid of personal encounter. And if the devil can distort your view of God, he's one. Forget distorting the view of you, you've already done that. And if if he can lower your idea of God, you will never see who you were created to be. And you will for sure never get close to understanding the magnitude of how much you are loved. This is why Romans 8, 38 through 39 says that we may come to this understanding of knowing the heights and the depths of all created things. It's why we started with how big God is. Because he wants you to think about the cosmos. Like I wonder sometimes, why did you make mosquitoes? (laughs) Hear me out. Why do I got to put, what is it called, DEET or whatever? I don't want to smell like deet when I go outside. Texas, man. Texas worse, I think. California is where it's at, bro. I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, I got your shirt on. Don't bring your California here. <laughs> why, why the animal in the ocean that has a light on its head? You ever seen those? Because it's so deep that it lights up the ground for itself. And God's just creative. He's a creative you make it what's the point you start to consider the height why did you make the ocean deeper than the empire state building what's the point why the you know like we had a centipede crawling in our house i'm like why god why are tarantulas a thing why and you start thinking about the width the length, the height, the depth of that which you created. And you become convinced of all of that. I think the more things he created was him going, I'm 
create more to mess with their brain because one day they're going to become convinced that out of all of that, they were the royal diadem. And I think the more option there is, are, there is and the, the bigger it is, the more planets, the more stars. People are like, is there another earth? I don't read about it in the Bible. Are there aliens? Forget all that, that crap. When you start to realize, like, why billions of stars inside of billions of galaxies? I think it's just to highlight the crown of my creation. That's small. And some of you are bothered by this. Seeds of religion. Telling you you're insignificant. But what does Paul say? He said, I am convinced. No height, depth, fish with things on it, tarantulas, all this, none of it, all of the, the almost what seems pointless made things can separate me from the love of God. Even angels, principalities, powers. Ephesians 3, he goes on and he says that we may comprehend with all the saints what is the width universe growing at the speed of light in every direction. What is the length of the universe growing at the speed of light in every direction? The width, the length, the height, the depths to know the love of God. The whole point, the whole point of this Bible is you come to know the love of God. Look at how big everything is. Look at it. Look at it. I don't breathe in any of it except you. Look at the tarantula. Why did you make it? To prove to you that I only breathed in you done with other mosquitoes but still it proves to me millions of them they are all over me to prove to me look i thought of all of these things but none of it makes me jealous like i'm jealous over you you are the treasure in the field and he paid the ultimate price and he bought the whole field you don't pay a price to get Jesus closer. Stop letting religion lie to you. For too long, it lied to me. I'm talking like two weeks ago. It seems that he takes me to Tennessee. I'm realizing the work I think there is as much me as starting a church. I'm realizing I got all these, I got all these things of like, I, I don't like myself. Wow. Yes. This is incredible. And this is what makes the gospel beautiful. You can't put enough makeup on. You can't stretch it enough. Botox, whatever it is you do these days. You can slap all the plastic on it you want. It, still, it looks weird. It's going to fall. You're going to get old. You just got to deal with it, right? But there's nothing you could do. No amount of face paint you can put on. And the reality is, and I know that this will connect with many hearts, many people in this room say that they are happy with how others perceive them, but when they're alone, they're disgusted with themselves. Because they know their true self, and it's time to come out of hiding, not to a group of people saying, accept me, but to a God saying, you've always been accepted in the beloved. How about you take the makeup off because I know what you look like. And Adam and Eve thought they were naked, and even after they sinned, you have to see it. Even after they failed, God said, who told you? You were naked. Ephesians 1, I just have to read it really quick because it's so phenomenal. It says this. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in Christ with every... 
anyone say every. Not some spiritual blessings based on what you're anointed to do. Every. Everyone say every. You have been given every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. It's not even on the earth. You're living right now with every blessing in heavenly places. Every. (laughs) Just as... He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be. That we should be is not in there. God help us. It's not in there. Look it up in the Strong's. You can't find those words because it's not in there. It's not that you should be. It's not that if you work hard enough, you'll make it. Take all of that out because it's not in there. You got to read it. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Holy and blameless. Wow. That you should be, you could be, and maybe you'll get there. But it shows you before the foundation of the world, before you were born, and you were a drug addict, and you were an alcoholic, and you were a disgusting sinner, and you were addicted to pornography, and you did all the crap that you ever did in your life. God said, wait till they recognize the treasure of, to me, I'm going to make them holy and blameless. And they already are, as far as I'm concerned. Dangerous to preach this. Because people think that they can sin and they can live. And, you know, I just made you accountable to something. It's called truth. And so now, how much darker is the darkness when you know, when you have oida, no gnosko, but you have knowledge of the love of God and think you can take advantage of it? It's not going to work out well for you. And you know why? You, you're going to just walk yourself right in, away from God. But even then, he's going, just going to follow him. Now they'll turn around eventually. And he sits on a throne called jealousy. I'll finish here. Why don't you guys stand your feet. Luke 22. Actually, sit down. I don't know why. The Lord literally just told me to tell them to sit down. Just, I don't know. We're going to figure it out in a second. Just stay. Oh, weird. All right. Just want to stretch your legs for half a second. We are almost done, but I'll read this to you. I heard a story this week, and it pierced, man, it pierced me. David sees Jesus. This is Luke 22, 54. This is about Peter's denial. They seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed at a distance, like a lot of Christians do. God didn't create the distance. Peter did had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. That servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. Now, he just told God. He went to the service and held up his shoes. He went to the altar and he said, I'm giving you my yes. Because Lou Engel was there. Getting fire in our bones. I, I love I've lifted my shoes 14 times, but I haven't gone to Guam yet. I'm still here. Peter said, I'll die for you. Oh, okay. (laughs) 58. And a little later, someone else said to him, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man 
also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. He's a liar. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. I heard somebody say, of course, it was a rooster. Like in those parts of the world, you are awakened by roosters every morning. Peter, for the rest of his life, has to now deal with a rooster crowing when he wakes up and he remembers that sound. He had to learn how to get over something. And the Lord, listen to this, 61. We miss this part a lot. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. knows I just denied him three times my best friend in the world my lord my king I failed I'm guilty I'm condemned he hears the rooster crow he sees God with blood on his back and they make eye contact what do you think Peter felt in that moment the shame wild though is there was something in those eyes that would cause Peter when Jesus returns and he sees him on a beach he jumps in the water after him you guys have heard it here Adam sinned against God and he ran from God Peter sins against God he runs to God what do you see in those eyes what what was it about that moment that I don't know about you I heard someone give this example and it's so true if, if you betray someone at that measure, at that level, and you see them again, you avoid them. If you denied someone, you made eye contact right after denial took place. Like, let's say you were talking to someone about that person, even just this, like this. This is what is in our culture today. Let's say I'm gossiping about Pastor Tanner to Costi, and I'm like, this guy is a loser, okay? And he shows up and he's like, what? Most of us be like, oh no, bro, you know, and then never talk to him again. You'd avoid him like the plague because why? You're ashamed of yourself. If you, if you saw him off in a distance, you definitely wouldn't run to him. You would send G to be like, yo, go see what kind of mood he's in. Up bad, and I don't know if he's gonna like be mad at me. I one time big mistake in high school, and I sent the wrong text message that I thought I was going to a friend, and it went to the teacher. That I was trying, I was like, I was ripping this teacher a new one. I needed help in high school. Don't follow my example. And I sent it to the teacher, who was also the basketball, our basketball coach respond and of course I didn't follow up with anything what I did was for like six months just avoided him like the plague he'd come around the hallway I'd be like Mr. Martin it ended, it ended like literally six months later I'm in, I'm in summer training of football I have a helmet on, football pads and I see this red haired guy out of the corner of my eye remember Mr. Martin and he just lays me out on the field. And he's on top of me and he kisses me through my face mask. And he goes, I still love you. That's how it ended. Today, Mr. Martin watches our live stream. 
truth. This is a God honest truth story. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a clapping thing, but that's fine. I was an idiot and he was very forgiving. And now it's like glory to God on the live streams. They avoided him like the plague. What did Peter know after spending the nights he did with the Lord? Was still the safest place to go. I guarantee you, he didn't see in his eyes, you make me sick. How could you? How could you deny me? You know what we would do today if people treated us like that? Well, let's talk about the receiving end. We'd block them on our phone, unfollow them on Instagram. They're not worthy of me. They, they can treat me that way. We'll call it justice. Jesus says, come to me. I made you breakfast. You're done laboring. And then when he raises from the dead, he commands angels, go and tell the women. This is what he's thinking about. He just plundered death, hell, the grave. Let captivity captive come storming out of the grave. And you know what angels told Mary? said, go tell my disciples and Peter too that I'll meet them in Galilee. Wow. He wanted Peter to know, I'm going to be intentional with you. I was thinking about you when I was taking captivity captive. I knew that you were ashamed. I knew that you felt guilty. How was that three days? Go tell my disciples and don't forget about Peter. He's struggling right now, but I'm not mad at him. I never was. Chapter 15, it talks about sheep that don't bear fruit. It talks about how he, he takes them away. You know what that word takes away in John 15 means? It means lift them up. When you really study sheep, when they fall over, they can die because they often can't get up on their own. So the shepherd comes and he lifts up the sheep that's troubled and he brings them close to the chest so that the blood can flow into the legs of the sheep until he can walk again. Anyone that's a parent in here, you're troubled. The one child that is the most misbehaved gets most of your attention. That's how it goes. My sister Monse was better behaved than all of us. All put together, but Costi and Michelle, and I was much better behaved than Costi and Michelle, but I was second on the tears. If we're measuring which we shouldn't do, but I was measuring. <laughs> but they get more attention, not because like they were loved more, but because they were bad. <laughs> because there's something inside of parents that ones that misbehave more, you have to bring closer to the chest. That's how a father is. Don't forget about Peter. And here's where I'm actually done. For just listen. So it's been long, but I've been here in like two and a half weeks. So Psalms 84: How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home. Sparrows find a home in the presence of God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. 
Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Listen to this. In whose hearts are highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, which means tears or weeping, they make it a place of springs. And the early rain covers it with pools. Listen to this. The, the passion says, how enriched are they who find strength in the Lord. Within their hearts are highways of holiness, paths to his prayer. The reason I'm saying this is because I want you to hear one thing today. The search is over. God is not playing hide and seek with you. After you're behaved, he lets you find him. He found you when you were at your weakest point. He found you when you didn't deserve it. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And then once he got you saved, he didn't hide from you and say, come on, let's see. Let's see if you still love me. Do you love me? Do you love me? Say it back. All sufficient, all by himself. It's what makes him so powerful, omnipotent, omnipresent. And I think it's time, I know I had this moment of coming out of hiding and starting to realize that, yeah, you might have been inconsistent yesterday. Probably most of you were. It was Saturday, it was your day off. And you're probably disgusted when you come church and you feel condemned and you think that I'm the one condemning you or the preacher is condemning you but no you're condemning yourself because you don't like yourself and you've projected that on God as if God doesn't like you because of your own consistency yet your own parents want to treat you that way I would say that God is as fully available to you in this moment as he was the day you said yes to him and he never left you and he's never going to leave you And he's never going to think differently about you because of your performance. And any love that is based on rules and regulations will not last. My love for my wife is not based on a certificate we signed on our wedding day. We haven't looked at that certificate one time. When we're in a fight, I don't bust out the certificate and say, remember? (laughs) I don't need that some piece of paper now some of you are like i don't need paper to get married either do it right don't be weird it's not what i'm saying okay i'll elope because it's all about god's covenant no do it in honor and order and in witnesses of men okay I'm, I'm all for that what i'm saying is is after you've done that the contract has been signed finished through the blood of the lamb on the cross i don't need to go back to rules and regulations saying do's and don'ts equals love. Because now, through the blood of the lamb, I don't, require, I don't need the temptations and all this stuff, the do's and don'ts that tell me what not to do and what to do. I shouldn't need it anymore. Telling me don't commit adultery because I'm in love. Yeah. I say it all the time, but I'm not sure it, it connects even with my own heart in a way. But like, I don't walk around when I travel like, don't look at any girls. You like if a girl's talking to me, I'm not like 10 feet. Sometimes you need to do that nowadays because a girl's like, You touched my arm, lawsuit. We got to be careful with that stuff. <laughs> it's true, though. A, a pastor straight up got sued one time because he put his hand on the shoulder. So be careful, men and women. But I don't, I don't need a rule, I don't need someone next to me all the time that's like, Don't forget your vows. She's pretty, don't look. Because I don't notice I'm in love with my wife. I don't think about like, don't commit adultery. 
hopefully you get to a place where you're not like, gosh, work so hard to not watch pornography. You can be free from that thing completely and totally. And you don't need a sticky note saying, be good. You need a sticky note that says you are loved. And when you see that, you go, why would I want to take advantage of that? So everyone close your eyes. I, I kept hearing this thing during worship while we were in pre-service prayer. <sighs> He's big. Well, this is not what I was hearing, but I'm going to say this. He's big. I'm small. And it makes us more valuable, not less. It makes us more fascinated. The wonder of the man of God, yet he's jealous over me. (laughs) When I read this and I saw this on the plane and I started to realize I have seeds in me of religion. I've seen Luke 22 of Jesus, you're the treasure. And the only reason Jesus can ever be my treasure is because I was first his. You can't even love him unless you first know he loves you. When I saw this, the Lord spoke to me and he said, this is the only way to shine. This is the only way to shine. People, I remember when I first met Todd, there was something crazy in this guy's eyes. He didn't have all the depths of revelation. Far from it. All of us. But something crazy was in his eyes. And he had this one understanding that I am loved by God. If I'm telling you, you meet people that have this revelation, they have a sparkle in their eye. Because they're not trying to put any makeup on. They're not, they don't veil themselves. They let that sparkle shine. There's rivers in you. Thank you again for joining us for this podcast. We pray that above all, your life was touched by his presence. If you're interested in learning more about the church or getting plugged in, you can visit us at www.risennation.org. Or follow us on social media to stay up to date with all that God is doing here. Love you guys. God bless.